Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. We have multiple locations, including an online service found at gethope.tv. If you're not from the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina or near our Agape campus in Haiti, we'd love to still have you be a part of what Hope is up to through our online services. If you do live in our physical area, go to our website at gethope.net to check out where our campuses are located and our service times. Please like and share this with your friends or family. We are so glad you stopped by. What's up, Hope? How are we? Good. A special welcome to all of you joining us online, in and around the Triangle, all over the state, all over the country, really all over the world. A welcome to those of you that are joining us at one of our physical campuses at Apex, at Morrisville, and a special shout out to Garner, who today are starting to meet weekly in the city of Garner like they used to before COVID. How awesome is that? I wonder if we at all of our campuses can just give a collective, we love you, Garner, on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. You hear that? It's true. Praying for you, Dwayne, out there in Garner and your awesome team. Can't wait to see what the Lord continues to do. Uh, we are starting a brand new series that we are calling Enough. Uh, the past few weeks, we've been looking at all these amazing encounters that Jesus has had with all these different types of people. And we've seen all these different attributes of who he is. He's redeemer. Um, he's provider. He's healer. And uh, I have loved this series every single week. And I've just been blown away again by how amazing Jesus is and all that he is and all that he does for us. And one of the things that I've been asking in kind of a fresh way after this series is how should I respond? How now should I respond? I mean, what's the proper response to all that Jesus is and all that he has done for me? Because there's, there's certainly this feeling of gratefulness. There's this feeling of thankfulness. There's certainly an inside kind of awe and worship towards him. But how practically should my life change in response to who Jesus is? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about in this series. And the good news is that the Bible kind of gives us a clear answer. Uh, Jesus says, as I've treated you, I want you to turn around and treat other people that way. Uh, God says, what I've done for you, go out and do that for other people in your family and in your neighborhood and in your workplaces and in your city and in your world. The Bible says that you've been blessed in order to be a blessing to others. And so for the next three weeks, we are going to be uh, talking about ways that we can play a part in expanding God's kingdom, a way that we can play a part in introducing Jesus to others, a way that we can use everything at our disposal, everything that God has given us to respond to Jesus and to love others well. And some of those things that Jesus has have given us include our time, our talents, and our treasure. That's what we're going to be talking about this week. We're going to be talking about money. Good, everyone's still here. Awesome. Uh, the reason I wanted to start this series on the topic of money is because that's often where like John the Baptist and Paul and Jesus start conversations about what the proper response to the gospel is. So I'm just kind of following Jesus's lead. In fact, 15% of everything that Jesus said, he said about money. That's more than faith and prayer combined. Uh, there are more parables on the topic of money than any other topic. All throughout the gospels, generosity is lifted up up as kind of one of the major proofs that someone really has heard and responded to the real gospel. 
Now, I have heard uh, that preaching on money is kind of a sensitive subject for some people. People have said, I've been praying for you. I hope you're ready for the emails on Monday. Uh, That has not been my experience. Uh, When we started a church up in the mountains a few years ago, I talked about money a ton because we needed to get financially self-sufficient. I have personally asked hundreds of people to donate to the ministry that I was involved in, and I've never received a mean email. I've never received a a mean text. Uh, But maybe uh, you're here and you're guarding just went up a little in the past few minutes when you found out I'm going to be talking about money. So if that's you, listen, if you are completely against generosity, first, that's weird. Like who's against generosity? And second, I'm not here to change your mind. I'm just here to show you what Jesus says about the topic of generosity and hopefully give you a glimpse of why Jesus would emphasize it so much. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 12. As you're turning there, I just want to let you know this is not going to be a groundbreaking, deep theological treatise on generosity. Hopefully for many of us, it's just going to be a reminder of how God says we should handle our, our treasure, our possessions, our money, our finances. And for many of you, an introduction into what Jesus has to say about generosity. So Luke chapter 12, uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 13. Uh, when we pick it up, I'll kind of set the scene. Jesus is having a private conversation with some of his disciples in the middle of a very large crowd that's begun to follow him around. And during this conversation with his disciples, he's, he's warning them about certain things. He's warning them about persecution. He's warning them about the Pharisees that are going to persecute them. So this guy interrupts that, this private conversation and unknowingly brings up another topic that Jesus needs to warn his disciples and us about. So verse 13 says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So this wasn't that uncommon back in Bible days. So the rabbi was not only the religious leader, he was also a lawyer. He was well-schooled in the Old Testament law, which was the law that their country went by. So it wouldn't have been abnormal to approach a rabbi about financial matters. But there's something in the way that this guy said it, something in the tone of this question. It's less of a question and more of a demand. Jesus says this, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? He's like, man, you got me confused with J.G. Wentworth, all right? This is not 877 cash now. I don't want a part to play in that. And Jesus does this often. Uh, He is not your normal rabbi. Um, He has come for one thing, that's to proclaim the kingdom. And he doesn't get wrapped up in certain things that other rabbis get wrapped up in. But Jesus notices that there's something about this question. There's something underneath this question. There's something in the heart of this guy that, that he needs to address. And so it actually causes him to get on the topic of generosity and money and possessions for this long teaching that runs the length of the rest of this chapter. Now, it's just these two brothers and Jesus talking to his disciples, but there's hundreds of people listening in. And he says this in verse 15. Um, He says, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So Jesus sees something in this guy that he wants to warn his disciples and us about, and it's covetousness or greed or the love of money and possessions. And I want to hang out here for a while because Jesus uses some really strong language. Did you see that? He uses a double warning. He says, beware and be on your guard. Literally, he says, watch out for or keep your eyes peeled for and be vigilant against. 
And it has this connotation of a soldier on watch duty, watching out for an enemy that might attack the home base. Or it has this connotation of a shepherd uh, keeping watch over their flocks at night in case a predator were to attack. And it's interesting that, that he says this because he, he could have just said, hey, don't be like this guy or don't do what this guy is doing. But instead, it's almost as if he says, hey, don't catch the disease that this guy has caught or don't get attacked by the thing that attacked this guy. And he talks about greed as less of an action that we do and more of an enemy that attacks is something that comes after you that you have to guard against. Have you ever thought about greed in this way? He doesn't talk about other sins like this. He doesn't say beware or be on your guard against premarital intimacy because that's something that you do. It doesn't sneak up on you, right? You have to take steps towards that. Um, he doesn't talk this way about drunkenness. He, he doesn't say be on your guard or watch out for drunkenness. Again, that's something you do. You know when you're getting drunk. You take that first beer, then that second beer. You don't get 10 beers in and be like, I'm drunk. What happened? I have no idea. But greed is different. It's something that does something to you. It's an enemy that attacks. And what Jesus says is that you have to be on your guard because it's sneaky. It's subtle, it's devious, it's crafty. It will sneak past your defenses without you even knowing if you're not vigilant, if you don't keep your guard up. See, almost no one knows when they're being greedy. Have you ever noticed that? No one's ever come into my office and be like, Chase, I have this huge problem. I'm just way too greedy, right? The love of money and the love of possessions has this way of grabbing a hold of your heart without you even noticing. It's a subtle and it's a slow attack, but it can happen to every single one of us. And what Jesus is going to point out is you don't have to be rich in order to be caught up in greed. You don't have to have a big bank account in order for greed to get a hold of your heart. See, we think we're never the greedy ones. It's always the people that have more money than us. They're the greedy ones. They must want it really bad to have that much. But Jesus said, no, no, it can happen to all of us in a second. Jesus is going to tell us a parable about a guy who has too much to instruct a guy who thinks he doesn't have enough because greed is universal. And I know 90% of us sitting in this room right now or watching online or at one of our campuses, we're thinking, this is not me. This is not something I struggle with, but I know someone that struggles as well. Let me ask you a few questions. You ever pulled up to a stoplight and there's a homeless person out on the side of the road and you just avert eye contact even though you have some cash in your pocket? That's a sign of greed. Have you ever craftily gossiped about a coworker to your boss because you want that promotion or sucked up to your boss so you could have the extra work shift? That is a sign and a symptom that greed has taken a hold of your heart. Or how about this one? You ever posted something on Craigslist and somebody calls and says, hey, I'll give you $100 for it. You're like, awesome, I'll meet you tomorrow morning. And then five minutes later, somebody else calls and says, I'll give you 150 for it. And you do this mental gymnastics about how you can lie to the first person so that you can have that extra $50. Those are signs that greed has snuck past your defenses and gotten a hold of your heart and is slowly pulling you away from Jesus. And what Jesus is saying here and what he says in tons of different places all over the Gospels is that whether you know it or not, every single day there is a competition for your soul. 
And every single day that you wake up, you are bombarded with things that are not Jesus that want to capture your heart. And there's things like lust, and there's things like envy, and there's stuff like power, and there's things like pride. But one of the most powerful ones, because we have to touch it and count it and deal with it every single day of our life, is the love of money. And the enemy knows that if he can just get a little thread wrapped around your heart when it comes to money, he can tighten it and he can rewrap that thread and he can cut you off from the life that God wants for you and he can wrap you up in things that have absolutely no eternal value and he can diminish your kingdom impact. You guys remember the parable of the sower where the farmer threw seed out and some landed on the path and some landed on the stone, some lands in thorns. You remember what those thorns are? It's the cares and the riches of this world that wrap around that seed and choke it so it can't grow onto maturity. That's why Jesus says, beware or be on your guard against greed. See, God doesn't want to get your money. He just doesn't want your money to get you. That's why Jesus says this. So Jesus actually shows us an example of what life looks like when a heart is pulled away by greed. And he tells a parable. He says this. Um, He told him a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, if I were in the crowd at this point, I would say, that's a great story. Does this guy have a book that I can buy? Like, this is what my financial advisor wants me to do. This is like hashtag money goals. This is the American dream. He's a genius, right? He increases revenue generation and then makes a capital investment to shield his perishable goods. Like, give this guy an MBA. This is, this is what we should do. But Jesus has a completely different take. He says this, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Jesus says, fool, to this guy that we would consider a financial genius. Why? Well, a fool is someone that believes something untrue and then lives according to that. A fool is someone that is bought into a lie and has built his life upon that. So Jesus is attacking some of these mindsets and false beliefs that this guy has. So there's, there's many of these mindsets that I see in this guy's life. I'm just gonna point out two, but here are two myths or two lies that if you believe, your heart's gonna be drawn away from Jesus. If you, if you believe these untruths, Satan's gonna have a really easy time pulling you towards greed and covetousness. The first lie that this guy believed is more will one day be enough. More will one day be enough. When he experiences this dramatic increase in his wealth, you can tell it's as if all of his dreams have come true. He's like, this is the day that I've waited for. This is what I've been working for for 20 or 30 years. This is, what I, this is when I can finally retire and be happy and be content and be satisfied because I've increased my wealth. Because I have more, I can be content. And you can tell that his whole life he believed the lie that one day more will be enough. And this is what I call the yellow brick road syndrome where we believe that further on down the road, there's the emerald city. And once we get there, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be content. 
And we do this with stuff that isn't money all the time. When I just get to college, then I'll be happy. I'll be content when I find that perfect person. If we could just have kids, then I would be happy. Then I would be satisfied. If, if my kids would just sleep through the night, then I'll be content. That one's kind of true. Or um, if my kids would get out of the house, then I'll be content. Or uh, if I just get that next promotion. Or when this project settles down and we're constantly living in this mindset of not yet, I'm not there yet. Happiness and contentment are further down the road, but we never arrive. And our whole life can pass us by. And we do this with money as well. If I could just make this amount, if I could just have that next car, if I could just have that next house, if I could just afford that type of vacation, if I could just have the type of money where the price of beef jerky isn't so offensive, then, then I would be happy. Then I would be content. Then I would be satisfied. But that time never comes. You know how I know? Because all of us are at different places financially and every single one of us are still thinking, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. There was a crazy poll uh, a few years ago where they polled thousands of people in this town in America. And the one question was, how much is a good amount to live on? During this year and these certain conditions, what is a good salary to live on? And they assumed that they would find some commonality. There would be an average. But they were kind of surprised when the numbers were all over the board. Went from like 40,000 all the way up to like 400,000, and they're scratching their heads. They're like, why are these numbers so different? Surely they should agree on something. Well, they actually dug into the data, and they did find a pattern. When they looked at how much the responder made, they found out that almost everyone to a T said their number was 20% more than they currently made. So if you made 40 grand a year, they said 48. If you made 200 grand a year, the people said 240,000. It's always just a little bit more. A recent poll, they polled thousands of people that made over $200,000 a year, and two-thirds of those people said that's not a sufficient amount to live on. In 1970, the credit card debt was $5 billion. Isn't that crazy? In 1995, 25 years later, it was $500 billion. That's a 100-fold increase. In 2020, it's $756 billion dollars because we've bought into the lie that more will one day be enough and we're willing to spend money we don't even have on more cars and more house and more vacations. It's to the point in our culture where you don't really have to believe what the Bible says in order to believe the truth, more will never be enough. Now we don't know what, happened, what would have happened to this guy had God not required a soul, mainly because he never existed. Jesus made him up on the spot. But if he's anything like us, those barns would have appeared small in a few years. And he would have needed more money and more money because his lifestyle would have grown. Because what Jesus is saying is that more will never be enough. That's a lie. Because life, real life, contentment and satisfaction does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. That's the first lie. Here's the second lie he believed. He believed, it's all mine. It's all mine. This guy says 50 words in this parable, and about 20 of them are I, or me, or mine. Let me read it for you again. He says, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. There I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, it's me, me, me. It's mine, mine, mine. And he's given in to this owner mentality. This is my money. I can do what I want with it. But God corrects him. 
He says, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. That word required is the Greek word for recalling alone. You see, in reality, we own nothing. So your breath, your opportunities, your cars, your houses, your talents, your capacity, and every single cent of money that, that, that you have is a loan. God's economy, nothing is ours. He just lends them to us for a very short amount of time. See, he's the owner, and we're the steward. He's allowed us access to his resources for a certain time and for a certain purpose, and that is one of the hardest mindsets to get into. Because, yeah, if like, I get the jackpot in the lottery, I'm like, that's from God, right? I just scratch off a scratch off and I get a million bucks. Thank you for that present. But when I look at my bank account, it's much harder because I'm the one that went to college. And I'm the one that did the studying. And I'm the one that made the grades. And I'm the one that did the networking to land this job. I'm the one that works hard 40, 50, 60 hours a week. But God would say, who gave you the capacity, the mental capacity to make it through college? Who brought those people that you network with into your life in the first place? Who gave you your heart that beats and your lungs to keep your body working? It's all God's. He's just given it to us for a certain time and for a certain purpose. And that means two things. First, we're going to be held accountable. One day we will have to give an account for how we use the resources that God loans us. That means that we have to take into account God's desires for the money that we have. And that's usually the last thing that we do. When that check comes in the mail or when we get that ding on our phone that that check has been deposited into our account, we think, okay, what are my bills? What are my debts? What are some fun things that we can do? What vacation can I take? And if there's anything left over, we say, oh, hey, God, what do you want me to do with this? When the Bible says no, as soon as we get that check, we take the whole thing and we say, God, what is your desire for this? I'm the steward. You are the owner. See, the Bible clearly explains that we all have access to God's account. And we can draw from it anytime we wish. Now, some more than others. But when we do that, God's given us the freedom to set our own um, uh, amount of money that we want to make. He's given us the freedom to set our own salary. He's given us the freedom to set how much is enough. So we get to decide how much do we need for our living expenses and how much do we need to enjoy. God, God wants us to enjoy those things that he's given us. But with a, a portion of all that God has given us, he tells us to use it for his kingdom. He tells us to invest in kingdom-building initiatives. God tells us to use a, a portion of our money on things that will last for eternity. You know the only two things that are going to last for eternity? God's word and God's church. His promises and his family. And so we should use our wealth in such a way where the word is proclaimed and the family is built up. And this leads us to the second truth. We're not going to have access to God's account forever. One day, we're going to have to give it all back. We're going to have to give everything that we own back to God. It's kind of like when you play Monopoly. You guys like Monopoly? Any board game fans? I am not competitive at all, but like this tiger just comes out in me when we play Monopoly. I looked up tips and tricks on how to kill anyone in Monopoly. So whenever my girls are like, you want a family game night? I'm like, yeah, break out Monopoly. You're going to get a rough course in the dangers of capitalism. And I, it's not a good game unless one of my daughters cries. But I get all the hotels. I get a stack of utilities and all these, these, uh, these, um, these permanent, uh, what am I thinking of, buildings. I get 
a stack of cash. I get all this sort of stuff. But even though I've won the game at the end, what happens? It just goes back in the box. You got to put it back in the box. And it's the same with life. God asked this man, you fool, these things that you have prepared, whose will they be? You can't keep it. One day you're going to give everything back to God. You're going to give your house. You're going to give your car. Your body's going in the ground. And every cent that you owe, you can't keep it. So it's pointless to store it up. One day, God's kind of saying, your two dumb sons are going to be arguing over the inheritance like these two brothers are with Jesus. And they're just going to spend it on Dogecoin or some multi-level marketing campaign, right? So if you only have access to these funds for a certain time, that's even more, uh, that's even more a reason to invest all that you can into kingdom-building initiatives. So you can't keep it, but you can send it on ahead. We're going to be talking about that a lot more in the third week of this series. So Jesus calls this guy a fool because he flunked the test. He got the answer to the question wrong. The question was, what should I do with the resources that God has given me? And this guy answers it, build bigger barns. That's the wrong answer. But there is a right answer. There is a right answer to how we should utilize the wealth that God has given us. And Jesus actually tells us at the very end of his teaching in this chapter, in verse 33, he says this, sell your possessions, tear down those barns, liquidate your assets, and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with the treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, he circles back around to the heart. Because finances and generosity, it's a heart issue. And what Jesus is saying is generosity is the only defense against the enemy of greed. It's the only thing that cuts that thread that Satan has around your heart. It's the only way to build a hedge of protection against that enemy. So what does that mean for us? Well, it means that if we want to be obedient to Jesus, if we want to respond appropriately to all that he is and all that he has done for us, if we want to see more and more people enter God's kingdom and experience the joy of salvation with us, it means we have to think and get serious about our finances. So, I'm gonna ask you to do two things this week. So if you're watching online at one of our campuses here in the room right now, I'm gonna ask you to seriously get together with a roommate or if you're married, definitely sit down with your spouse, talk it over with your family. I wanna ask you to do two things. First, I wanna ask you to put a number to enough. Put a number to enough. Make a decision that's between your family and God where you decide this is what we need to pay for our living expenses and to enjoy. That's the number. In this season of our life, this is enough. Because if you never do that, the number will always be just a little bit more. So put a number to enough. And once you have that, I want to ask you to take one more step in your generosity. What do I mean by that? Well, if you've never given before, give. Give for the very first time. You can go to our website and go to the app. The campus host is going to explain to you exactly how to do that at the end of this service. Now listen, you may never hear another pastor say this. <laughs> I am more concerned with you becoming a generous person than I am with you giving to the ministry of Hope Community Church. So if we're not at a place where we've earned your trust, 
then give somewhere else. Give somewhere else. And I can give you a list of places to give. I can't think of a better place to invest my resources than the local church, and especially this one. Talk about proclaiming the word and building the kingdom, building God's family. And I'm confident that if you just ask one of us out for coffee to address some of your questions, we will uh, earn your trust eventually. But if that's you and you're just kind of checking things out, I would encourage you to give somewhere else. But give for the first time. That's your first step. If you've taken that step before, then your next step is to give regularly. So set up a regularly recurring giving, even if it's five, 10, 20 bucks every single month. And we make it as easy as we can for you on our website and on our um, app. If you've been doing that, then take your next step, which would be to give proportionately. Give proportionately to what you bring in. Now, I think a good amount to shoot for is 10%. Again, you might not ever hear a pastor say this, um, I don't feel like I can command you to give 10%. I mean, I could, but I don't see that in black and white in the New Testament and in the Bible. What I do see is that the, in the Old Testament, people were commanded to give 10%. And what I also see is Jesus has this crazy habit of taking Old Testament norms and really raising the bar, right? So you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. I say, don't even lust. You've heard it said, do not commit murder. I say, don't even get angry. You've heard it said, give 10%. He probably wants to up that number a little bit. And we do see that God wants us to give to an extent where it kind of hurts, where we feel it a little bit. So I think 10% is a really good goal to pursue. So if you're giving regularly, continue, uh, consider upping that to a proportional giving. And then if you do that already, your next step is to give extravagantly. To give extravagantly. I've met people that are reverse tithers. They live on 10% and they give away 90%. And they are some of the happiest people that you will ever meet. So maybe consider just giving a big one-time gift or maybe investing in some of our, our worldwide partners like Agape and Haiti or Sunika or Watoto. And you can go to the website to find more about that. But see, here's the deal. This is a really important issue because generosity and financial matters are really discipleship matters. See, God doesn't want to get your money he just doesn't want your money to get you. And if you want to guard your heart against greed, if you want to respond appropriately to all that Jesus has done for us, then we need to take steps towards generosity. And I promise you this, I promise you this, you will never regret a decision to be generous. Never. Money talk over. You guys made it through? That's awesome. Well, next week, uh, we're going to be talking about our time about how we can use this limited resource called time to respond to who Jesus is um, and to impact his kingdom. And it's going to be awesome. You're not going to miss it. So let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Um, thank you that it's given in love and it's true. Spirit, would you just help us? Um, there's something about money where we just find security. Um, it's a way where we just, we just feel like the dangers of the world can't give us if we could just kind of guard this. Would you just remind us that you keep us in the palm of your hand, <laughs> that the lilies of the field don't worry about what to wear, the ravens don't worry about what they're gonna eat. Would you just create in us a heart of generosity, not to earn anything from you, but in response to the amazing things that you've, always, that you've already given us. So Father, would we go out into this world and through our generosity, increase your glory and increase your fame. And it's in the beautiful name of Jesus we ask.
Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We appreciate you joining us as we tackle issues facing our modern world from a biblical perspective. To make sure you don't miss a message, please take a moment and hit the subscribe button. Also, if you're new to Hope and want to check out what we're about and how to be a part of our community, go to our next steps at gethope.net slash next. Let us know your story because we'd love to connect with you.